It's your old chuckle buddy. I guess who? The Anthony James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent July 19th in the year of our Lord 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. I couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't sleep. These girls keep calling me. These girls keep calling me. Yeah, do do do. Late night on the phone, shorty B on the phone. Go on, girl, lose control. Yeah, boom boom boom. I couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't sleep. That's that new song by Big Boy and Sleepy Brown of the Outcast Crew of the Outcast Click. Can't Sleep by Outcast, you know, Big Boy, Sleepy Brown. That's a new track that uh, came out a couple weeks ago. It's been in my mind. It really got me through this morning's jog. You know, I'm just running over the bridge, right? Downtown Toronto, you know, you know, amid pandemic. But hey, fuck it. You got to get out of the house once in a while, right? Can't be cooped up all fucking day. Yeah. Can't keep a tiger penned. You know? I'm running over this bridge, right? I couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't sleep. Just running over the bridge, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Outcast. One of my favorite, you know, groups, you know? Even the sun goes down. Heroes eventually die. Horoscopes often lie. And sometimes why? Nothing is for sure. Nothing is for certain. Nothing lasts forever. But until they close the curtain, it's him and I. Aquemini. Anyways, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcher on the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire, 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. It's hot. Fucking microphone. It's hot. Telling you, Seymour, it's hot. Sorry for all you audiophiles. I just took the moment to mop down my fucking face. It's hot. Uh, yeah. Thespian going on 19 years. I've been thinking recently um, a very fun, effective tool in the toolbox of an actor, thespian such as myself, is the ability to do impressions. I'm actually quite good at them. My entire life, I would say like dozens of times, like dozens of times throughout my life, you know, I'd just be watching a motherfucker, right? Just watching somebody, you know, like a teacher, a friend, a family member, you know, a member of the clergy, you know, neighbor, somebody that I've been stalking, whatever, I'm watching somebody, right? Then, you know, at the right moment, you know, there'll be like a group of people and then all of a sudden... Hey, blah, 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 blah. I, I do my impersonation, right? And people are like, oh my God, oh my God. John, yo, guys, guys, you, John, do your impersonation of so-and-so. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, back when I used to have friends and socialize, you know, um, <laughs> I was actually quite good at impressions. Like people always like, people really used to dig my impersonations. And, uh, you know, 
whatever you do, if this is relatable across your industry, like, you know, across industry, you know, there may be a certain, there may be certain skill sets that you know that you should know, (laughs) you know that you should know. Like, for example, let's say you're a carpenter. I don't know, maybe you're great at, uh, maybe you're great at cutting, you know, with a buzzsaw. Maybe you're good at cutting with the skill saw, but maybe you're not so good at your measurements, you know, and that's an area of your game that you can step up. But that's also an area of your game you could be proud of where it's like, yeah, I make good cuts or whatever. How can you make good cuts if you don't make good measurements? Oh, hell, I don't know. I'm just trying to draw a fucking comparison. You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of different little skills within a trade, right? So as an actor extraordinaire, there's some things that I'm good at. There's some things that I'm not so hot at. But one thing I do know is that I'm pretty good at impersonations, you know? It's not something I really focus on. But like, you know, going forward, like keeping the craft, keeping the hunger alive, it's something that I would like to like maybe test myself at. Because like I'm good, but I could be, I could be great. And, like, great is, like, you know, Jamie Foxx, Jim Carrey, Eddie Murphy, uh, most notably right now on the internet, Kyle Dunnigan, you know, you see him on, like, Joe Rogan, he does, like, those impersonations of Bill Maher, (laughs) Jeff Goldblum, Ray Liotta, he does these impersonations, right, Kyle Dunnigan, he does, like, these Instagram impersonations, so, like, notably, he at the moment, I could consider, like, a, you know, a well- a fairly well-known impressionist, you know. He's also a comedian and actor. Uh, Aerie Spears. Aerie Spears of the Spears and Steinberg podcast. Andy Steinberg, another comedian. Uh, he and Aerie Spears, they have a podcast, Spears and Steinberg, you know. And Aerie Spears, great uh, comedian, great impressionist. You know, he does a great impersonation of like, you know, Paul Mooney, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, who else does he do? That's a lot. And, uh, you know, Jay-Z, <laughs> DMX, you know, he does all these great rapper impersonations, various impersonations, Aerie Spears. So that that's the point I'm trying to get at where it's like, um, it would be, it, it would be fun to see like how good I could get. You know, how great I could possibly become at my impersonations. Because I'm good. Like, it's like, you know, it's one skill as an actor. I notice people just gravitate towards me. You know, like, you know, it's it's not so often everybody's interested in every little in and out of being a performer. But when you do something that immediately catches attention, catches attention... You know, okay, now I'm on to something. And that's how we, that's always how it's been with my impersonations. It's always, like, really gripped people in. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see. And part of what got me thinking about that, um, um, I've been recently thinking about this guy. Brian! Hey, everybody, my name's Brian. I know everything. Landscaping, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. My name's Brian. I know everything. <laughs> now, you're probably not going to get that 
impersonation. Uh, you know, that's not going to make much sense to you. But uh, that was a guy I used to work with, right? I, I was just thinking about him the other day. And, you know, I used to watch him, you know. And I remember one day I'm just like, you know, it was a, it was a construction job, you know. Early in the morning, people are having coffee, cigarettes, and, you know, Brian's talking, and Brian's going on about everything. I know everything. And I was standing there, right, and this was back in the days when I used to smoke and drink, right? I'm hungover, right? I'm just like, I'm just watching him natter on, right? I'm like, you know something, Brian? You do know everything. Hey, everybody, it's fucking five o'clock in the morning, and Brian knows everything. My, my name's Brian. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, my God, holy fuck. John, John, do that again. Oh, my God, you sound just like him, right? I'm like, who do I sound like? Do I sound like Brian? I know everything. <laughs> And, you know, everybody was cutting up and laughing, right? And Brian's just like, you know. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think I did it behind his back. <laughs> I don't think he ever heard me do the impersonation. I think he went to take a shit or something, right? I'm like, hey, everybody, my name's Brian. And, uh, you know, it really kind of lit the spark. And, um, you know, that's the value of it. In entertainment it really it really connects with an audience and also like I, I got to thinking like you know when you're doing an impersonation like it's more than just the tone right because like let's say you're making fun of your boss at work you particularly now you can mimic their tone you know if you're you know if your boss sounds like this and blah 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 you know you can match their tone you can just be like Hey, everybody, I'm talking like the boss. Get it? Ha, ha, ha. And, and most people will laugh at that. They're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're doing an impersonation of the boss. Uh, that's kind of funny. But once you get into the, like, once you get into the psychology, once you get into the mind of, like, why do they say what they say? Not just how do they say it, but why, you know? So, like, part of what was so, like... Part of what was so, you know, appealing, I think, to people about my Brian impersonation is like, number one, I ain't no fucking physiological physicist, but like, you know, some kind of physiotherapist or something. But generally speaking, when people talk, you know, you take a breath in, you know, and you, the, you, know, you can feel the power of your breath and your speech come up through your stomach, you know, comes up through your stomach, up through your diaphragm, up through your tits, you know, out your throat, out your face. You know, there's like kind of a flow to how you talk, right? Well, Brian, he had his like all congested like in his jaw and his nasal cavity right in the front of his face, right? It's like he didn't, it's like he never took a breath in when he talked. Hi, my name's Brian and I know everything. Oh yeah, I've been a carpenter, a plumber, a landscaper, a cashier, a stripper. My name's Brian. It's all like, it was all like congested congested in the front of his fucking face right and on top of which he was like a fucking sprinkler with the fucking when he talked he was under the impression that everybody wanted to hear what he had to say at all times because he's brian he's fascinating oh yeah he knows everything so like when he like 
the the arrogance in a sense, the entitlement in a sense that like he's like this fucking Joe Blow nobody fucking day laborer construction worker. But yet when he opened his mouth, he was the king of the castle, Brian. <laughs> so like all those elements really helped kind of connect with the audience. That's why I think when pe- people heard that impersonation, it was like, damn, that's Brian. You know, it was, it's, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's many moving parts to an impersonation. And, you know, I feel like I'm good at them, but, you know, I'm really chomping at the bit. (laughs) I'm really chomping at that bit to like, see where I can take my impersonations, you know, just for the hell of it, just for the love of the game. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yes. I am also a stand-up comedian. Yep. Three, no wait, uh, 11 plus years of service. I was about to say I act like a three-year-old. That's what I meant by the, the number three there. But uh, another hack joke, <clears throat> if you can call it that. But yeah, 11 plus years of service. And yo, like one thing that I... Uh, I've been working on lately is hitting that notebook, putting that pen to paper. And the process really works. You know, um, the last couple, the last, like I always, like I always have a fairly good writing process. And some days it's really thought out. Some days it's just scribbled down your fragmented thoughts. But there's always been somewhat of a record you know, working out my thoughts, working out my jokes, you know? Well, lately I've been really putting the emphasis on, yo, sit down, put in the time, you know, and um, see what you can cultivate. And damn, yesterday really reinforced in my mind that the process works. And I hope that's relatable across industry, whatever you do, like, the process works just, you know, instead of fighting the, instead of giving into the resistance, just believe in the process and do it, whatever it is that you do. Like if you know that in order to become the best, uh, you know, mom and pop pizza parlor in the neighborhood, that you have to do certain things in order to attract business, to give yourself that competitive edge, then do it. I know it's hard. You know, you got to fight through that resistance. If you know that it takes a certain amount of, you know, feng shui, whatever the fuck, avant-garde thinking, whatever the hell it takes to be like, you know, top of your game in the electrical trade, then yo, pull out them fucking light bulbs and, you know, spark an idea, you fucking dumbass, right? Like, believe in the process, And that's what I realized yesterday when it's like, you know, I I was feeling kind of like, ugh, like I I, I was feeling kind of dead in the brain, right? Not unlike most of my days, but, um, you know, I was feeling kind of like brain dead. And I'm like, what am I even bothering for? There's literally no thoughts in my head right now. I was like, I don't know. I went to the park, gripped a coffee, sat down, nice tranquil spot, staring at a tree, dusted off the old notepad, got the pen. Put it to the paper, then 
it was like fucking verbal diarrhea, mental diarrhea. You know, I was writing up a storm. You know, I was like, holy moly. And a lot of it, I think, is pretty good, too. I was like, wow, wow, I can't wait to take this to the stage, right? You know? You know, you really have to work on those fart sounds, you know? There was no dynamic, there was no dimension to those fart noises there, you know? They all sounded relatively on the same note. You know, it's not exactly easy to do potty humor. But the point being, like, pen to paper, the process works. And I was, like, amazed. I was like, wow. Wow. Like, trust in the trust in the process. Whatever it is that you do, if there's a process and you feel that resistance, suck it up and just trust in the process. Trust in your know-how. And it'll bring you through. It will. Because, like, yesterday, like I was amazed. Because it's like... I've been really hard on myself lately just putting in that writing time, putting in that time to, you know, cultivate. And, like, to go from completely brain dead to turning out, like, uh, I think I turned out, like, six little bits, you know, six little, you know, embers of, you know, material, stuff that I wanted to, that I'm, like, excited to take to stage and, you know, give it a shot, you know what I mean? And it was like, wow, from brain dead to like several funny bits that have potential, right? Trust the process. And I've also been taking that into my uh, acting. Um, Sitting down, uh, coming up with, you know, possibilities of projects for myself to pen to produce, to perform in, you know, coming up with my own projects. And again, with the impersonations, busting my hump, you know, busting my back, you know, blowing my back out, trying to like, you know, trust the process as an actor, thespian, extraordinaire as well. And, um, you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to do so, whatever it is across the board, you know. Um, so, you know, that's the takeaway for me this week. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. And if you're enjoying the show thus far, please do share me with a friend. Help my black ass out for crying out loud, you know? Help me out. Share me with a friend. I'm available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. You know, you can reach me there. You can also email the show, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. If you've got questions, queries, or qualms, hit it up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. All righty then. So I have a very fetching topic that I'd like to speak about this episode. Now, it all comes in part to um, this ongoing segment that I've been doing on the show. Um, I've been reading this very fetching book, Philosophy, The Basics, by Nigel Warburton. 
This is a very fetching book that you can get on Amazon for, I believe, like $23 Canadian. That's chicken scratch compared to other economies, right? So Philosophy, The Basics by Nigel Warburton. I'll post information again on the, on the show, on the website, channel, whatever. Philosophy, The Basics by Nigel Warburton. And it's a book on basic philosophy. So far, we've covered, you know, concepts of does God exist, right versus wrong, animal rights, political concepts. Today, we divulge. No, today we dive into the philosophical theory, appearance and reality. Appearance and reality. Now, I have to admit, this one has been kind of tricky for me. Um, This is like my several attempt trying to uh, record on this topic, appearance and reality. Because part of which is it's so expansive. You know what I mean? Like, for example, one of the biggest questions for the ages, if not the question of the ages, is, does God exist? That's a major question, right? But when you think about it, there's really only three answers to that. Do you believe if God exists? Then the answer is yes, or the answer is no, or the answer is maybe, right? You're either a believer, an atheist, or an agnostic, right? Generally speaking, and yes, you can think about it and wrap your brain with it, but it's it really comes down to that when it comes to God. It's either a yes, no, or maybe so, right? Believer, atheist, agnostic. Really comes down to that, right? Well, when it comes to appearance and reality, it's like, ground control to Major Tom... Checking countdown engines on, check ignition, and may God's love be with you. Ground control to Major Tom, check my pussy engines on. This is ground control to Major Tom, I'm stepping through the door, and I'm floating in a most peculiar way. Ground control to Major Tom, your surf is dead, there's something wrong, can you hear me, Major Tom? Am I sitting in a tin can? High above the world, okay, kill it already, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like... Have you ever stood at two opposing mirrors? You know, you stepped into like an elevator and there's like a mirror on this wall and a mirror on that wall. You know, and either way you look, it's like, you know, you're going into infinity on either direction. You know what I mean? There's like, like fucking my man Buzz Lightyear said, to infinity and beyond. Like, you can rack your brain What is reality? What is appearance? What is a dimension? How many dimensions, you know? Generally speaking, we talk of the world being in three dimensions, right? Length, width, and height, right? Are those the three dimensions? You know, the length, the width, and the height of the world. 
right? Space. But then, like, what about the other dimensions? What, are, what, what about consciousness? Consciousness. What about space? What about, you know, illusion? It's a motherfucking kerfuffle. You know, it's a real fucking ball buster, brain teaser. So, suffice to say, I found this topic fairly difficult to just kind of rattle off. Or, you know, speak on so eloquently because it's kind of out of my league too, right? Like, I don't quite have the depth of knowledge as, let's say, Nigel Warburton, the writer of philosophy, the basics. Nigel Warburton, you know, he's a philosopher, professor of such. I don't even know about that. But anyways, he's a writer, he's a philosopher. So, but anyway, we're going to get into it here. And I'm just going to try to give you the basic concepts and then give you my overall thoughts and opinion. It's very interesting stuff. And it could be a little complex and tricky. So, so again, if you are someone who has opinions or insight into this topic, appearance and reality, do hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You know, but let's get into it here. So appearance and reality. Now to begin with, one of the major concepts of, of uh, philosophical theory in regards to appearance and reality is common sense realism. Common sense realism assumes that we learn about the physical world through our five senses. Sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. Physical objects continue to exist whether or not we are perceiving them. Yes. Now in regards to that, skepticism about the evidence of the senses. Skepticism is the view that we can never know anything for certain that there is always some ground to doubt even our most fundamental beliefs of the world. Right. So in regards to that, we come to the illusion argument. A skeptical argument which questions the reliability of the senses. And this threatens to undermine common sense realism. And there's degrees of certainty to that. That's the criticism. Degrees of certainty. There are some uncontroversial cases of knowing through which we learn the concept of knowledge. It is only because we have this background of cases of knowledge that we can doubt our beliefs. Without these uncontroversial cases, we could have no concept of knowledge at all and and nothing with which to contrast our doubtful beliefs. Heavy stuff. Against this view, a skeptic might point out, we could be wrong about what seems to be instances of certain knowledge. Maybe we're dreaming. Yes. So that's another um, criticism of the senses and our relation to the real world. Maybe we're dreaming. Could we be dreaming? We can't always be dreaming. It wouldn't make sense to say all our life is a dream. If we were dreaming all the time, we couldn't have a concept of what a dream is. This is true, but it would but this could be argued that but it could be argued that while we are not dreaming all the time, that at any moment we cannot know for certain whether or not we are actually dreaming. 
However, dreams are usually different from waking life. Dreams involve many events that would be impossible in waking life. They are not usually as vivid as waking experience, and they may be hazy, disjointed, bizarre, so on. Right? That's the fucking trick of a dream. You know, it's like, like the waking life is so much more vivid, right? Like when you're taking a swim, you know, you jump into a pool, you're splashing through the fucking piss water. Like you can feel it on your body. You know, it's very vivid. Whereas when, whereas when you're um, dreaming about swimming, it's not quite as vivid, right? That's, I guess, due to sense perception, right? All right, let's get into um, some more of this. What about hallucinations? Hallucination. Even if we are not dreaming, we may be hallucinating. Maybe we have been taken, maybe we have taken or been given some mind-altering substance. Although this is a possibility, it is highly unlikely we could carry on life so easily. Um, And the example they use in the book is like a chair. Uh, A chair holding our weight. If we're hallucinating, wouldn't we hit the ground? Right? Like, for example, if I was hallucinating right now, wouldn't I hit the floor? Because, like, I'm sitting in a chair. Am I hallucinating that I'm sitting in a chair? Wouldn't I just hit the floor? Well, a a counter-argument to that would be, well, perhaps I'm sitting in the first place during this hallucination. Then we come to the brain-in-a-jar theory. The extreme view that our relationship to the outside world is to imagine that we don't have a body at all. Our brain is floating in a jar controlled by a mad scientist. Electrodes manipulating our senses and perception, etc. This story of the evil scientist is an example of what philosophers call a thought experiment. This is an imaginary situation used to make clear to us certain features of our concepts and everyday assumptions. Is there anything about our experience that could show that this thought experiment doesn't give a true picture of reality, that we're not simply a brain in a jar in the corner of an evil scientist's laboratory. It's alive, Igor! It's alive! (laughs) Yes, master. Yes, master. I'm playing with my penis, master. (laughs) You know, is there... What about our experience could show that this thought experiment this thought experiment doesn't give a true picture of reality that we're not simply a brain in a jar in the corner of an evil scientist's laboratory. Yeah, so the brain in the jar theory, it's basically a thought experiment. An experiment make, making us question if there's anything in our experience that can refute the theory that we're not just a brain in a jar. What is it that we know in our experience, in our knowledge, that can refute that theory? Because perhaps we are just a brain in a jar, manipulated by electrodes, by a evil scientist. You know? In a sense, that is, you know, parallel to the Krishna consciousness Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hari Hari, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hari Hari. 
you know, Krishna consciousness that the the Indian, South Asian, I guess, ideology, religion, I'm not quite sure what it is. It's like an ideology, a belief system, a religion. Krishna consciousness, consciousness. They believe that, you know, the consciousness, the consciousness, our brain power is beyond our body. They believe that the consciousness lives on beyond the body. You know, that's how they, you know, lend credence to their beliefs of reincarnation, past lives. The consciousness lives on beyond the body. Which is kind of parallel to that idea of like, you know, a brain in a jar. Just a conscious a consciousness separate from a body, you know? It really questions our reality and and the appearance of it, you know? And, you know, that's a, I mean, to, you know, to certain people, that's a legitimate question. It's a thought experiment. And then the question being, what in your experience, what in your knowledge, what in your belief refutes that theory? Like, what do you, dear listener, dear viewer, what do you believe and know in your experience that can refute that theory, brain in the jar, you know? Perhaps we are just a brain in a jar, Perhaps we are just manipulated by electrodes and our consciousness is separate from our body. And this is like an illusion. You know, don't shoot the messenger here. I just read the damn book. Didn't write it, you know. All right. Now that brings us to memory. Memory. Memory, just like the evidence of our senses is notoriously unreliable. However, if we seriously question the reliability of memory, then we make all communication impossible. If we can't assume that our memory of the meaning of words are reliable, then there's no way we can even discuss skepticism to begin with. That's very interesting. So this is all stemming from the illusion argument that Our senses cannot be 100% reliable all the time. That's the illusion argument, you know. You see a warped road on a hot day. You ever look down a road on a hot day and it seems like it's moving? Well, that's an illusion, you know. Well, seemingly. Or is the road really moving? You know? There's an illusion element to our senses, You know, sometimes if you hold, uh, you ever get a boner in a bathtub? You ever be sitting in the bathtub and you pop a boner? And like your dick looks like bent. It looks like at a 90 degree angle. Like it's popping out of the water, but it's at a weird angle. Like sometimes when you stick objects into water, they look bent. They look misshapen. You know, that's an illusion of our sight. You know? Uh, So yes, these theories, um, you know, hallucinations, 
dreams, you know, brain in the jar theory, memory, they all fall under the illusion argument that our senses can't always be trusted. But that's a great criticism in regards to memory because it's like, well, in order to even have a discussion on the illusionary, the elusive illusionary aspects of memory or of anything in general, the illusion aspect of anything in general, in particular memory, how can we even have a discussion on that if we can't have a certain certain faith in our memory? For example, language. We couldn't have a conversation right now. You couldn't understand the words that I'm saying and how to and how to um, interpret them if we didn't have a certain knowledge of language, a certain grasp of language and the meaning of the words, you know, memory. You know, if you speak my language, then you understand um, in whatever language, it doesn't matter, whatever language, when you speak it with another person, we, we, we put our faith in our memory and we... And that's how the communication can work, right? But then again, in a world where we're questioning appearance and reality, what place does memory really have? Is it really a memory or is it a dream? Is it a hallucination, you know? What is memory? Well, there's only a certain amount of skepticism we can have with memory, you know, sometimes memory is tricky, right? Like, we don't always remember things the way in which they happened, right? That's why, like, for example, testimonies in court, you know? Your Honor, I saw the fucking defend defendant, uh, you know, he had his pants down and he was shitting on the curb. Well, was he? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was just fanning his asshole by the sewer wind, you know? You never know. Memory's tricky, right? That was pretty funny, you know? Was he shitting on the curb or fanning his ass by the sewer wind? <laughs> Not so shabby, right? But you know what I'm saying? So, memory is tricky. But then again, we can't be 100% skeptical of it, or else how could we have a dialogue? How could we speak the same language? If memory is just an illusion, how does language work? Interesting. This brings us to, this brings us to um, logic. If skeptics were to call into question whether logic is really reliable, then this would undermine their position. If logically everything's reliability is proven open to skepticism, wouldn't logic itself be included? Interesting. However, the objections do not answer the illusion argument. They only suggest that skepticism has limits. There are some assumptions that even an extreme skeptic has to make. Yes. So, of course. Um, if log Okay, if we're going to say that, well, logically, we should be skeptical of everything, by that same logic, should we not be skeptical of logic? Maybe logic isn't as reliable as we put our faith in. Oh, well, logically, if, um, logically, you should question everything. Well, then, logically, we should question logic. Maybe logic is not as meaningful as we, you know, purport. 
Maybe it's an illusion as well. Maybe it's not as reliable as we think it is. Yeah. So those are, those are uh, some of the basic arguments against common sense realism. And, to, and again, common sense realism assumes that we learn about the physical world through our five senses. Sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. Physical objects continue to exist whether or not we are perceiving them. That's common sense realism. And then there's skepticism. There's skepticism towards the reliability of the senses. And that skepticism um, is what we just discussed. The idea of the illusion argument. You know, senses aren't 100% reliable all the time. Um, Perhaps we're dreaming. The dreaming argument. Uh, Hallucination. Maybe it's all just a hallucination. Whoa, I love Lollapalooza. Yeah. Or whatever the hell it is, the kids that go to these days. Coachella. Uh, It's it's Coachella weekend. Uh. You know, maybe it's all a hallucination. Brain in the jar theory. Maybe that, maybe we're just a brain in a mad scientist's jar controlled by electrodes, controlled by manipulation. Our consciousness lives on beyond the body. You know, maybe we're not even really in what we perceive as reality. Maybe we're like an avatar. You know? Then there comes memory. You know, what place does memory have in regards to our senses in relatable, in relation to the outer world? Then there comes the idea of logic. You know? And those are the criticisms against... uh, some of the criticisms against common sense realism. The idea that our five senses give us a relation to the outer world and that physical objects exist beyond our perceiving them. Yes, very interesting stuff. And again, um, I find it a little tricky. I'm not 100%. You know, I ain't no fucking Stephen Hawking. You know, but like, you know, I I do think of these things and it's interesting. And um, there's various other theories in regards to philosophical theories in regards to um, appearance and reality. So on top of which, there is representative realism. Representative realism is a modification of common sense realism. It is called representative because it suggests that all perception is is a result of awareness of inner representations of the external world. Our experience is an inner representation of what our senses produce. In order to explain this, representative realism introduces the notion of primary and secondary qualities. Now, primary qualities. Primary qualities include size, shape, and movement. Our mental representations of these qualities closely resemble the objects. Secondary qualities include color, smell, taste, and taste. 
Ideas of secondary qualities don't resemble the actual object, but rather are in part a product of the kind of sensory system we happen to have. Yeah. So yes, representative realism. It's different than common sense realism in that it's an inner representation of the outside world, you know? Our senses gather the information and produce an inner representation of the outside world, our inner perception, versus common sense realism, which ideally is more of a is more of a external representation of the outside world. We use our senses in, in common sense realism, if I get this correct, in common sense realism, we use our senses to get an external representation of the outside world. Whereas representative realism gives us an internal representation of the outside world. You know, it's, it's more within our own perception versus maybe a more general concept of the outside world. It's more of a personal, personal approach, more of an inner representation, right? So the criticism of representative, representative uh, realism, criticism of representative realism is perceiver in the head, the infinite number of little interpreters. So yes, it's like, the real world is unknowable, or rather, it is only knowable indirectly. All we can ever experience are our own mental representations of the world, and we have no way of comparing this with the actual world. Yeah, that's the criticism. It's like the infinite number of little interpretations. It's like, if what we know of the outside world is an inner representation of our perception, then there's infinite ways in which we can perceive the outside world. You know, if, if what we're going for is, you know, there's the way things are, and then there's the way that I see it. You know what I mean? You know, there, that might be an elephant sitting at that bus stop over there. That might be a fucking elephant over there at the bus stop, or it might be the way I perceive it. You know, maybe it's my ex-girlfriend, you know, or whatever the fuck, right? It's the, the, the way in which I perceive it can be, you know, the, the perceiver in the head idea, the multiple ways in which things can be misconstrued or interpreted from people to people, from person to person, you know? The way in which we all collectively have different perceptions. It's almost like that game telephone. You ever play that game telephone? You know, hey there, I'm on the phone. And, you know, you sit, somebody tells you something. Okay. Then you tell it to your neighbor. And you go in a circle. And then by the time the information comes back to you, it's a different interpretation. We all perceive things differently. So it's like an infinite amount of interpretations. It's an inner representation. 
representative realism, the inner representation of the external world. <laughs> you know, it's mind-boggling. I think I'm going to go back to school. <clears throat> no, I'm not. Fuck it. I should have dropped out, actually. That's one of my biggest regrets in life. I should have dropped out of high school. I didn't need to finish that horse shit. Anyway, which brings us to idealism. Idealism as another theory in regards to um, appearance and reality. Idealism. Idealism. There is no justification for saying that the external world exists at all. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I mean, it's a theory. We don't need to introduce the idea that there is a real world beyond our experience. All we can ever know about is our experiences. For the idealist, objects only exist as long as they're being perceived. Yes, that's very different than, you know, common sense realism. Again, common sense realism, by definition of this book and my interpretation of it, common sense realism is the is that is the belief that the senses give us an external information the the senses give us information about the external world our senses give us information about the external world objects exist beyond our perceiving them that's common sense realism Representative realism is the idea that our senses give us information about the external world, which in turn gives us an inner representation. We gather information from the outer world, and then we interpret it with our inner perception, our inner viewpoint of the external information. That's representative realism. So this is where common sense realism, representative realism, really part ways ideologically, ideologically with idealism. Because idealism, there is no justification for saying that there is an external world at all. You know, they don't even believe that there's an external world in, in regards to idealism. We don't need to introduce the idea that there is a real world beyond our experience. All we can ever know about is our experiences. For the idealist, objects only exist as long as they are being perceived. The criticism of this being, if all we ever experience are our own ideas, how can we distinguish between reality and imagination? You know, if, if all that exists is our own ideas... What is reality? What's imagination? What's fact? What's fiction? However, an idealist can explain this. Actual physical objects are, according to the idealist, repeated patterns of sensory information. I mean, I guess, I don't know, is that how you explain your bicycle? What is your bicycle? It's my bicycle. But what is it really when you're not looking at it? Well, it's really just a pattern of sensory information. Oh, hell, I don't know. Do I look like Stephen Hawking to you? Anyways, leads to solipsism. Solipsism. The view that all that exists is my mind. 
and that everything is a creation of my own invention. So that's the uh, criticism of idealism. It leads to solipsism, the view that all that exists is one's mind and that everything else is a creation of one's own invention. Criticism of solipsism is that it is closer to a mental illness or a form of megalomania than a tenable philosophical position. Philosophical position, yeah. That's the criticism of solipsism, is that it is closer to a mental illness or a form of megalomania than a tenable philosophical position. And megalomania being a delusion about one's own power, importance, typically as a symptom of manic or paranoid disorder. And it is also defined as an obsession with the ex- an obsession with the exercise of power, especially in the domination of others. So, you know, megalomania, it's a delusion about one's own power. It's an obsession with the exercise of power. So that is some of the criticism of idealism when you if you share that belief that there is no justification for saying that there is an external world at all. We don't need to introduce the idea that there is a real world beyond our experience. All we can ever know about is our own experience. It leads to solipsism. It can lead to megalomania. You know, it's very self-involved. That's some of the criticism. And it's also very hard to define or explain. You know, it's like objects don't even exist beyond our perceiving them. Like, have you ever parked your car and then returned to your car? You know, you park your car, you go into the rub and tug, you know, you're in there for a few minutes, you come out, no pun intended, you come out and your car is still there. Well, you know, in the idealist mind, once you park that car and turn your back, the car doesn't even exist anymore. Poof! Or its its existence is really just a pattern of sensory information or a or sensory patterns. You know, it's very hard to stomach. Further criticism of idealism is that merely the fact that we have sense experiences isn't enough, but why? I don't really get that. Further further criticism of idealism is that merely the fact that we have sense experiences isn't enough, but why? Why? One answer is that one answer is that external sensory stimulants exist. Or perhaps God creates these sensory stimulations for us to experience. Which leads to the question does God exist? The idealist believes that for something to exist it must be perceived. One reason for this belief is that it is logically impossible to check whether the contrary is true. No one can observe whether something ceases to exist when no one is perceiving it, because in order to check the object in question, would have to be perceived. I have no fucking idea what that paragraph meant. Maybe you can make some sense of it. Good luck to you. Which brings us to the next um, idea in regards to appearance and reality. Phenomenalism. That's a mouthful. Phenomenal, phenomenalism, something like a phenomenon, something like a phenomenon. Phenomenalism, 
The idea that we only ever have direct access to sense experience, never to external world. Phenomenalists believe that all descriptions of physical objects can be translated into descriptions of actual hypothetical sense experiences. They also believe that objects continue to exist as possible experiences even when an individual is no longer perceiving it. What more, they believe that everything that appears can be described in the language of sense experience without any reference to physical objects. Criticism. Hard to describe objects. In fact, all attempts to describe physical objects as sense experiences has failed. Phenomenalism also leads to solipsism. All that exists is one's mind and the creations within. And the private language argument. Oh yeah. To the phenomenalist, the identification and re-identification of sensation relies on private experience, not on the existence of public physical objects. The private language argument shows that such a private naming and re-identification of sensations could not possibly occur and so undermines phenomenalism. All language depends on rules and rules depend upon there being ways of checking that they have been correctly applied. Yeah, I don't really know what the fuck I just read there. You know, phenomenalism is, again, another belief that is very similar to idealism. Because basically, idealism believes that there is no need to believe that that an external world exists at all. And that um, physical objects that we perceive only exist um, as sense memory or a pattern of sense. Sense whatever the fuck. You can't even really explain it. But um, whereas phenomenalism, it's the idea that we only ever have direct access to sense experience never to an external world. They also believe that objects continue to exist as possible experiences even when an individual is no longer perceiving it. And I guess one of the arguments they use against that is like the idea of like um, a train schedule. Like if, if, if all that like how do you tra- how do you check a train schedule against a train schedule? Like if you if in, if all that exists is is my mind and there is no external world, how do you explain like okay what time does the train come? What time does the bus come? Well, I'm gonna check the schedule the schedule that I made up in my mind. Okay, I'll check the schedule in my mind and you make up some time. Oh yeah, the train's coming in ten minutes. Then all of a sudden the train appears. It's like there's no fact checking. Oh hell, I don't know. Phenomenalism, idealism, it's very uh, slippery. Suffice to say, it's very. Um, it leads to megalomania, the idea that you know an obsessive power of one's own power, an obsess, an obsession with power, and uh, slipsism, the idea that all that exists is one's own creations. The view that all that exists is is one's mind and that everything else is a creation of 
one's own invention. So I'm like, you know, suffice to say, it gets a little messy, gets a little, um, and granted, I didn't, I coulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Sometimes you know there's a problem and you don't try to address it. Like I read this information a couple times and instead of really trying to explain it, I kind of just said, you know, this is a little much. I'll leave it to the humor of uh, stupidity and just kind of blabble my way through it. But it's convoluted stuff, you know? Which brings us to our last point in regards to appearance and realism. Casual realism. Casual realism assumes that the causes of, the causes of our sense experiences are physical objects in the external world. Causal realism takes at its starting point the observation that the main biological function of our senses is to help us find our way around our environment. It is through our senses that we acquire beliefs about our environment. Like representative realism, causal realism assumes that there really is an external world which continues to exist whether or not it is being experienced. Causal realism is the most satisfactory theory of perception to date. So suffice to say, causal realism is the most satisfactory theory of perception to date. It assumes that the causes of our sense experiences are physical objects in the external world. Causal causal realism takes at its starting point the observation that the main biological function of our senses is to help us find our way around the environment. So it is the most like satisfactory explanation for our reality, more or less. You know, and this has been an interesting read, you know. Philosophy, The Basics by Nigel Warburton. Um, again, I did find it kind of tricky you know, uh, spitting out all that information. And part of what's so tricky about it is like um, the, the infinite possibilities of reality. I mean, one of the most popular films of um, in recent memory, uh, The Matrix, Red Pill, Blue Pill. Is there, is this even... I mean, some people talk about, is the world really like a video game controlled by some grand uh, computist or whatever you call that, some hacker or whatever? Like, is is the world just a video game, predestined, pre-programmed? You know... The biggest takeaway I can think about in regards to reality for me, which is so weird, is like, I've noticed lately whenever I go jogging, I always come up against people at uh, certain joints. I call them joints, like the connecting place. Like, I guess in carpentry, and again, hell, I don't know. I ain't no fucking carpenter, but they call it like the joints. The connecting corners, the joints, or maybe it's the joist, I don't know. But basically, the connecting corners. I notice that whenever I go for a jog, 
It's like I turn a corner, somebody's there. I'm at an intersection, somebody's there. And it's just so mind-boggling to me because it's like, how is it that like people traveling on different paths will connect at the exact same moment? I'm coming from over there. They're coming from over here. You know, it's just like, we're right, we're going, we're going, we're going, boom. Like, what are the chances? What are the, what are the fucking chances? It happens all the time. Like, you, you turn a corner, somebody's there. You know, you're going to move to this spot, then somebody just appears out of the bushes. It's really weird where it's like, of all the places on earth, of all the places in that exact moment, they're there. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but have you ever noticed that when you when you go for a jog, especially in a big city, like it's fucking six o'clock in the morning, there's nobody around. You're jogging, all of a sudden you turn a corner and somebody's right in your path. And it's just like, what are the fucking chances of that? It really gets you thinking. It really gets you gets me thinking. Anyway. And you know, there's also there's all sorts of questions in regards to like other dimensions, another one being string theory. Um, string theory. In physics, string theory is a theoretical framework in which the point-like particles of particular f- of particle physics are replaced by one-dimensional objects called strings. String theory describes how these strings propagate through space and interact with each other. Ah, hell, I don't know. But they're talking about multiple dimensions when basically, for the most part, we agree that the world is in 3D, three dimensions, you know, length, width, and height, right? Isn't that what the dimensions are? Let me double check that. I don't want to look too stupid. Three dimensions. Um... So yeah, three-dimensional space. Space is a geometrical setting in which three values are required to determine the position of an element. What are the three dimensions? Three-dimensional space. Oh, for dick's sake. Can't you just give me a straight fucking answer? What are the three dimensions? Oh my god, now they're going into an algebra question here. I think I got it right. <laughs> yeah, length, width, and height. Those are the three dimensions, right? What are the three dimensions? Maybe I have to be more fucking... What are the three fucking dimensions? So... Good Lord. So in sense, we do experience a 3D world using our vision, but not directly a world with three spatial dimensions. Instead, we perceive directly a world with two spatial and one temporal dimension. Suck my dick, geometry. Give me a fucking straight answer. What are the three fucking dimensions? I'm going to write fucking too. How many dimensions does it take to fuck? I fucking 3D. I fucking 2D. Horizontal missionary every time. What are the three dimensions? What? are the three dimensions. 
Oh my god, I typed this in last time and that's what they told me, but I can't even remember. Here we go. We know our universe in three-dimensional. Space and all the objects which exist inside of it have a width and a breadth and a height. Width, breadth, and height? Breadth? Breadth is a fucking dimension? I'm in the breadth dimension. Ah, fuck hell, I don't know. Yeah, length, width, and height. Yeah. So anyways, as you can see, it's a convoluted mess. But if you do want some information on this very enchanting book to perhaps get a clear, uh, a clear summation of some of these points, Philosophy, The Basics by Nigel Warburton. Again, I'll post the information. And, um, you know, it's very interesting stuff. And especially like um, in this time when, you know, we have reason to question our reality and we have a reason to question appearance, you know? And, um, you know, it's very interesting stuff. And I thank you for stomaching through that. Uh, that was kind of tough for me. That was a little different, a little different because um, just the immense possibility in the infinite, in the inf- infinite, infinite reality of reality. You know, intergalactic planetary, another dimension, another, another dimension, another dimension. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent July 19th in the year of our Lord 2020. Appearance and reality. You know, where's your head at now? Where's your head at? Where's your head at? Nah, nah. Hit me up. JR.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yo, like, what do you feel? What do you think? Appearance and reality. Do hit me up. Again, I'm available on multiple platforms. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. My own website, Jonathan-Ramtran.com. And, you know, share my black ass with a friend, if you will. Please, help my black ass out. Help me get out of this dimension. Please, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this 1D dimension. Help, help! Till next time, folks. You live it, you love it, you realize it. I peace.